The Lord be with you. All right, let's, let's see a show of fingers. How many women did you count in Jesus' genealogy? Ooh, I see some fours, some threes, I see some fives. All right, by my count, I count four and a half. Well, because Bathsheba is only referenced not by her name, but as the wife of Uriah. Yeah, so, you know, she doesn't even get a name, but she's in there. All right, so let's say five. Yeah, let's say five. All right, and to recap, those five are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, there's 42 generations listed in that genealogy, and I find it kind of curious that of the five that Matthew chose to designate by women, he chose those five, because I don't know how you all are, but when I tell people about my ancestors, I pick the ancestors who make me look good. Yeah? And I will tell you what, from a human point of view, the women that are listed in Jesus' genealogy, they are tarnished by trespasses. So, if you have forgotten some of the details about these women, let me remind you. First of all, Tamar was married to the son of Judah, a man named Er, who was Judah's heir, but who erred, and so died quite young without a son and left his widow quite scared. I thought I should write this whole thing as a limerick, and I said it's not going to happen, but someone should, because that's the direction it's headed. All right. So when Judah's son dies without a male son to carry on Judah's name, Judah commands his second son, a man named Onan, to do what will eventually become Jewish law. Judah says, Onan, son, you need to make a baby with Tamar, with your brother, your dead brother's wife, so that this baby you can then raise as your dead brother's son to carry on his name and our family name, and that way Tamar in her old age will have a son to take care of her. Well, Onan is more than happy to hop in a tent with Tamar several times, but when it comes time for him to plant his seed in Tamar, he says, whoa, I don't want to be raising some brother's son. And so he plants his seed on the barren ground instead of inside her. Well, this ticks got off, and so Onan kicks the bucket, which means Judah now is left with two dead sons and still no grandsons to carry on his family name. Now, Onan has a third, or, uh, Judah has a third son, but his third son's a little young, and Judah doesn't exactly feel good about the odds of marrying his third son to this woman who uh, has been now the widow of his two others. So Judah says, Tamar, tell you what, why don't you just hang out for a while, and when my third son's old enough, then you can marry her. Except when his third son gets old enough, Judah still doesn't invite Tamar to come and marry him. So one day, as Judah is off walking along a road to tend his sheep, he sees a woman who's failed her face, who appears to be a prostitute. This woman is secretly Tamar, who's disguised herself. And Judah propositions this random prostitute and offers to pay her with the sheep just as soon as they're finished. And the prostitute says, oh, no, no, no. You're not going to pay me afterwards. I need collateral now. I want the collateral of your ring, your cord, and your staff. 
So they do the deed, Judah hands over his things, and he goes off to get that sheep, but when he comes back, the prostitute is gone. Well, three months later, Judah gets word, you know your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant! Outrage! Judah says, bring her out so that we can burn her. That's what's fitting for a woman like that. Well, they bring out Tamar, and Tamar says, you know, before you burn me, you should know who the father is. The father is the man who owns this ring, this cord, and this staff. It's you, Judah! You're the father, and Judah has to say, ooh, she got me there. So, I will tell you what. If I were going to tell you my family history, I would not include this story. No, no, no. From a human point of view, the tale of Tamar is tarnished by her being a tramp. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't get better from here. Because next on our list is Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite, a citizen of Jericho, a woman who had a reputation for frequently allowing strange men to spend the night in her house, which, you know, Jericho is the oldest city in the world, so it's perhaps not surprising that the most famous citizen of Jericho has the oldest profession in the world, yes? The tale of Rahab, from a human point of view, is tarnished by the trespass of being a prostitute. Well, next on our list is Ruth. Ruth's story goes like this. There's a Jewish family, and there's a famine in their hometown of Bethlehem, so they move to Moab, a neighboring country, And they're the boys of this Jewish family, marry Moabite women, even though the Bible clearly says not to do that. And one of the Moabite women these Jewish boys marry is Ruth. But all the men in that Jewish family die. And so Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, says to Ruth, Ruth, why don't you just go back to your own family? I'm going to head back to Bethlehem. But Ruth follows Naomi. And when they get back to Bethlehem, Naomi sees one of her cousins and says, I've got a plan to hook you up with a husband who will take care of us both, Ruth. The man's name is Boaz. He's hardworking. He's decent. He's prosperous. And so Naomi says to Ruth, Boaz, he's going to be working all day threshing his harvest. Afterwards, he's going to enjoy a few drinks and he's going to, you know, pass out. Then, in the middle of the night, sneak into his bed, and that way, when he wakes up, he'll think the two of you slept together, and you'll have him locked down like that. And sure enough, it's what happens. Now, from a human point of view, Ruth's tale is tarnished by the trespass of being a harlot, which brings us to Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba, as a reminder... Matthew doesn't even tell her, tell us her name. He just says that she is the wife of Uriah, as if to remind us that when King David saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof, she was a married woman. She was married, in fact, to one of King David's own soldiers, one of his best soldiers, who is currently fighting a war on King David's behalf. But that didn't stop King David from commanding Bathsheba to share his bed. And when Bathsheba became pregnant and King David couldn't find a way to conceal it, he had her husband Uriah killed so that he could take Bathsheba for a wife and add her to his harem. From a human perspective, Bathsheba's tale is tarnished by the trespasses 
of betrayal and adultery. And finally, we come to Mary. Mary, that unwed, pregnant teenager who from a human point of view is tarnished by the trespass of having the hallmarks of a hussy. And so we might say to ourselves, what in the world are all these people doing in Jesus' genealogy? What are their tales? What is their heritage? What is their genetics doing in Jesus? But 2 Corinthians tells us, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. God has made everything new. And it goes on to tell us that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so 2 Corinthians tells us the point is this. Let us therefore no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. Regard no one from a human point of view. Because the thing is, with Tamar, from a human point of view, she may be tarnished by the trespass of being a tramp. But in God's reconciliation of the world in Christ, Tamar's story is one of perseverance. It is a story of a woman who holds on to a promise that she will have a son to carry on the name of Judah. A woman who refuses to be written off as a problem. A woman who holds on to that promise in any way that she can, and because she holds on to that promise and gives a child to Judah to carry on his name, the name of Judah exists to this day because of Tamar, the name for which all Jewish people are named. Jews get their name from Judah. And Rahab, from a human perspective, her tale might be tarnished by the trespass of being a prostitute. But in God's reconciliation of the world in Christ, Rahab's story is one of courage. Because the final men that she allowed into her room at night were Hebrew spies that she hid from her city guard. She saved their lives. And so she played a part in bringing down the walls of Jericho. It is because of Rahab that the Hebrew people can enter into the Holy Land. And Ruth, well, from a human perspective, her tale might be tarnished by the trespass of being a harlot. But in God's reconciliation of the world in Christ, Ruth's story is one of faithfulness because this foreign woman refuses to leave the side of her Hebrew mother-in-law. And when Naomi goes back to Israel, 
Ruth leaves her homeland to follow her, saying, Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And so she does. Ruth works without complaint, laboring in the fields to gather leftover barley after the harvest. And in doing so, she wins the honest admiration of that man, Boaz. And though she is faithful to her mother-in-law's instructions to sneak into his bed at night, she refuses to trap him there. When the morning comes and Boaz and Ruth greet each other, Ruth leaves his bed before anyone can see him and force him to marry her. She lets this man make up his own mind about how he wants to handle the situation. And so when they do get married, Boaz and Ruth build a marriage on mutual admiration. Together they become the great-grandparents of King David. Because of Ruth, Israel received its greatest king. And Bathsheba, well, from a human perspective, her tale might be tarnished by the trespasses of adultery, and betrayal. But in God's reconciliation of the world in Christ, Bathsheba's story is one of resilience. She may have been forced to marry King David against her will to become a part of his harem, but she refused to be a victim. And when a treacherous child of David tried to usurp the throne, Bathsheba intervened and instead set her son Solomon upon the throne, giving Israel its wisest king in history, the man who would build God's temple because of Bathsheba. And Mary. Oh, from a human perspective, they might call her a hussy for being a teenager, unmarried and getting pregnant. But in God's reconciliation of the world in Christ, Mary's story is one of trust. For this teenage girl, here's an angel tell her that God is about to upend every single plan she had ever had for her life. And Mary said, Let it be according to your word. For here I am, the servant of my Lord. And so she became the mother of God. Because of Mary, Jesus was born into this world. We celebrate these women today. We give thanks for their lives, not because we would necessarily do everything that they did, but because in them we see God's grace at work in Christ, reconciling the world. And so we do not count their trespasses against them. We do not view them from a human perspective. We view them as the way in which God has brought Jesus into our lives. Today is New Year's Eve. And for so many people, this is a day about 
making resolutions, about churning over a new leaf, about becoming a new person. And if you are one of those people, then Christ bless you, because in Christ there is a new creation, and that includes you. But as you look forward to the future you seek to become, may we not consider anyone from a human point of view, including the old you, including those past selves. Oh yes, you may be right to no longer want to do as they did, but may you still give thanks for them, for through them, God has brought you to where you are today. Through them, God is reconciling you to God's self in Christ. And so, may we see no one from a human point of view, and may we count not their trespasses, but the grace we have received through them. Amen.